And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Back to the Bins proudly presents I've got a few things to say about Superman. Hello and welcome to episode lucky 13 of I've got a few things to say about Superman. My name is Snark McGill, and whether this is your first episode or you've been listening since the very beginning, I want to thank you for the download and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, I was absolutely floored by the overwhelmingly positive reception that I got to the return of I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman last episode. Thank you so much for the very kind words. I really do appreciate it. I'm glad the show is back, and it seems like you guys really are too. We're headed into some really exciting material, so I I think you're going to like this ride. Before we get cranking on this episode's books, which will uh, continue our look into the origins of the Phantom Zone, I want to mention briefly something I teased on Facebook recently for those of you that might be wondering about it. Last weekend, as I record this last weekend, uh, my friend and co-host on Back to the Bins, Dr. Bill Robinson, and I attended the Tampa Bay Comic Con in uh, sunny Tampa, Florida. And among the many awesome books and assorted swag that I scored, I finally managed to snag myself a copy of Adventure Comics number 369. Now that issue... Uh, it has a story entitled Mordrew the Merciless. It features the first appearance of Mordrew. He's a, uh, a foe, probably the biggest foe, arguably, of the Legion of Superheroes. And uh, it, you know, that that story, you know, it's, that issue features the first part of a two-part story that, in my opinion, is one of the finest Legion stories ever told. It's actually a, a Jim Shooter story. Uh, I first read it in the oversized reprint called uh, Limited Collector's Edition C49, and that's where I've owned it all my life. But I've always wanted to own the original issues that the story actually appeared in. Not long ago, I got uh, the second half, Adventure Comics 370, the second half of the story, but I always wanted you know both parts of the story. Um, you know, just to have the complete story, but also the cover on 369 has this gorgeous neil adams cover on it so i just always wanted to have the original issues of that so now i do i paid five bucks for it which you know if you know me is more than i usually like to pay for back issues being you know just kind of a cheap sob i guess when it comes to my back issues but i've been searching for this book for so long and it was in such beautiful shape and just gorgeous condition that uh, I, i just couldn't pass it up so i went ahead and i purchased it anyhow uh, what this all has to do with the Facebook thing is I mentioned all of this on Facebook. I told the whole story about having gotten the book and all. And I said that I'd like to do a show uh, about the story um, that's in that book, you know, in that issue, in the next issue. At some point here on I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. I'm really serious about that. Thing is, I don't know when precisely that's going to happen. So I'll beg your patience. Keep reminding me about it. Keep after me. Uh, I do intend to do it. It just might take a little bit of time, but I will get to it eventually. Uh, I'll find somewhere to squeeze it in. 
So with that, uh, let's go ahead and jump into the episode proper. Now, as you'll recall, last episode, we looked into the origins of the Phantom Zone by first examining a pair of stories in which uh, Superman faced off against Kryptonian adversaries for the very first time. Now, there wasn't any Phantom Zone stuff involved in that story, but it was just, you know, talking about the precedent of Superman fighting fellow Kryptonians. Then we uh, took a look at Adventure Comics 283 from April 1961. Now, I was not around in April of 1961, so I don't have first-hand knowledge of this stuff, but judging by the fact that the very next appearance of the Phantom Zone uh, took place a mere two months later in June of 1961, I think it's a safe bet to assume that the Phantom Zone was an instant hit, at least with uh, Robert Bernstein, or Bernstein, uh, the writer of both that first Phantom Zone story and the first one that we're about to discuss today. That book is Superboy, number 89. Uh, It's cover dated June 1961. As I said, it was on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, April 6th, 1961, which means it predates me by seven years and a handful of days. Uh, The cover is by Kurt Swan, inked by Stan Kay, and it depicts Superboy and another dark-haired youth in a similar yet color-reversed outfit, and they're both flying towards this giant two-headed flame-spewing jack-in-the-box monster. Uh, It's a really cool cover, and the youth in the color-reversed outfit is saying, this jack-in-the-box creature has two heads, little brother. You tackle one head, I'll take the other. And Superboy is saying, I get it, Monel. This is a double header, which is a terrible pun. <laughs> so it is uh, touted right here on the cover. It says, A Great Two Part Novel. Superboy's Big Brother is the title of this. And I don't know about anybody else, but I always hated it when comic stories were called novels. Uh, I saw a lot of comic stories where if it was a cover-to-cover issue, you know, all with the same story, then it was considered a feature-length novel. And I'm like, you know, I read novels and comics, no. Even a full-length comic story, uh, not a novel. So, yeah, that always kind of drove me a little bit crazy. Anyway, it also says in the cover here right above the logo, it says, Still 10 cents, and you know what that means, kids. And you're right. But surprisingly, the price hike didn't happen until uh, number 93 when it jumped to an outrageous 12 cents. Uh, but there were a few issues in between uh, this issue 89 and 93 where it, uh, it stayed at 10 cents for a while longer. Usually when you would see the uh, still, usually it would say still only. Uh, that means like the very next issue it was going to jump up in price. Anyway... There are actually two stories in this issue, but of course, we're only interested in Phantom Zone stories for the moment, so we're just going to be looking at the one entitled Superboy's Big Brother. Superboy's Big Brother is the first story in this issue, so opening the book, we are treated to that standard of the times, a second cover, so to speak, in which Superboy and his new playmate are playing a variation of baseball that uh, only Superboys could play. So... Superboy is, uh, he's saying, sorry, Monel, I'll ease up a bit. And he's hurling this, uh, this giant chunk of rock. He's thinking to himself, he says, golly, it's great to have a brother who also has superpowers. We can play baseball in outer space using petrified trees for bats and meteorites for baseballs. And Superboy is, uh, as I said, he's throwing this meteorite. It says here, Monel is swinging a giant, uh, petrified tree. 
and it's being shattered. He says, gosh, Superboy, you broke my bat with your fastball. And uh, the copy for this says, presenting a terrific two-part novel featuring Superboy in the most baffling experience of his life. Part one, Superboy's big brother. And part two, the secret of Mon-El. So, by the way, the uh, art in this issue is by George Papp. So, one evening in Smallville, as Clark Kent walks home from an open school night at Smallville High with his foster parents, Jonathan and Martha Kent, they look up into the uh, the stars, or into the sky, and uh, Martha's saying, Isn't it a beautiful night? Look at those lovely stars. And Superboy just happens to look up and uh, use his telescopic vision. And he spots a flame, flaming exhaust of a rocket ship entering the atmosphere, switches into Superboy in some uh, in some nearby uh, bushes, shrubs, something like that. Makes a lightning fast change, he says, and he streaks off into the sky to uh, rescue this spaceship that he says is going to hit the Earth nearby in ten seconds. So he streaks off, and as he gets close to it, he sees that uh, it looks like a one-man space vessel from another world that's plunging down out of control, and it's going to crash unless he sets it down easily. So he grabs a hold of it, and he's setting it down, and the fuel tanks burst into flame. He thinks to himself, just as the super fuel which powered the rocket that carried me as an infant from Krypton made my super vessel burn up on reaching the Earth. And I'm thinking, I remember some stories that did that, but I remember other stories where Jonathan Kent, or, or I'm presuming Baby Kal-El would have done it, had, you know, Jonathan Kent's truck had the rocket in the back of the truck. So I'm thinking in some origins it did burn up and in other ones it didn't? Or I'm, I'm wondering how that whole thing works. One of these days I'm going to have to get around to investigating that. I know that the origin would change slightly here and there over the years, but at this time, apparently, the rocket ship, this is at a time when his rocket from Krypton actually did burn up. I remember some stories, too, where when Kal-El's rocket would uh, would land on Earth, he would actually be, like, ejected out, like, come flying out of the ship and, and land, you know, unharmed, of course, because he's, you know, super the moment he <laughs> lands on Earth, apparently, and the rocket would uh, would burn up because of the super fuel or whatever. Anyway... Back to the story, Superboy uh, uses his x-ray vision. He sees the unconscious pilot, and he rips open the canopy uh, to get to the uh, the occupant. And this begs the question, should Superboy be able to do this? I'll come back to that later on, because I actually made a note about this moment. Anyway, he, uh, he rescues the op- occupant, who is still out cold, and Superboy is kind of examining him as we see in the background the rocket is burning up. And he says, strange, he's wearing a costume similar to mine, except that the colors are reversed. Which is true, except one of the things I like about this character, and I'm going to be talking all about this character once this uh, once the synopsis is over. But one of the things I like about this character is that, yes, essentially they do have kind of the same costume with the color switched, but there are variations. Uh, Monel. Uh, you know, he has more of a of a tunic, almost more of a, almost to me, it lo- always looks slightly, uh, slightly military somehow. I'm not sure. Um, you know, with the with the belt being on the outside of it and everything. So there were slight variations. Plus his cape, you could see where it was actually fastened on with little, uh, almost like little medals or something like that that were uh, right where his uh, where his collarbones would be. That sort of thing. So slightly different. Anyway. Uh, Superboy says, uh, but who is he? 
Maybe this letter in his pocket will explain. So Superboy's like rifling through <laughs> through his clothes and everything. And it's actually tucked into his cape, much like Superboy and Superman would store stuff inside of his own cape. And Superboy finds uh, a piece of paper in there and he says, Good heavens, the note is in Kryptonese, handwriting of my father Jor-El, who died when the planet Krypton exploded years ago. I'll translate Jor-El's words into English. And he translates it. And essentially the note says... This chart just describes the space course to be taken by my son's rocket ship on its journey to Earth. And Superboy thinks to himself, Gasp? My son? Is it possible that Jor-El had another son older than me? And this portion of the story, I think, when you know the overall story, I think it makes Superboy seem a little bit dense. Like, why did he immediately think that Jor-El was talking about this person and not talking about him anyway i'll get back to that so superboy thinks to himself he says what else can it mean well it can mean a lot of things superboy it's funny he says this a number of times in the story about things like well that's very obvious but no there's other explanations superboy anyway he says Jorel calls him my son well, no he didn't superboy you're assuming that that this is who he's talking about and uh he says Jorel calls him my son then he must have had another, older uh, son than me, whom he also tried to send to Earth. If so, then this youth is my older brother. And I just find it strange that he uses that word, this youth, when he himself is, you know, he's a teenager. And uh, it just seems like a really strange thing to say. I guess these days kids would say, well, this kid must be my older brother. So maybe back then youth did say youth. It just seems like a very strange thing to say. Anyway... The youth starts to come around and he's kind of holding his head and he's going, oh, and I love in the next couple of panels, there's these like spinny lines around his head. So you can see his head's kind of swimmy and everything. And Superboy is continuing to check him out and he's looking at him. It says here he's using his microscopic vision, which no, he's actually using his x-ray vision. But anyway, Superboy looks and he sees that underneath this uh, kid's clothes that uh, there's a medallion around his neck made of kryptonese metal it's inscribed with all our love and good wishes jor-el and lara he says my mother and father gave him that as a keepsake that proves he's my brother beyond any doubt hmm you sure about that superboy because i'm thinking that you're jumping to wild conclusions here this next part really uh kind of fascinated me when i read it he says uh to himself he's still thinking to himself he says besides his physical appearance and clothing confirm he's a native of some other planet like krypton okay i'll give you the clothes but what about the physical appearance is he talking like molecular structure because i i don't think that that really came into popular whatever with superman stories i'm thinking until way later like superman the movie era you know when Jor-El talked about, you know, the dense molecular structure would make him strong and things like that. But is that essentially what he's talking about? He's he's noting that they have similar physiology or is it just I don't know, I'm a little bit confused by that. Anyway, he says he's coming to now. I'll talk to him and learn the truth from his own lips. Yeah, that's a good plan. Let's let's get him to tell us the story before we jump to these wild conclusions, Superboy. So the uh, the youth stands up and he says, oh, he says, where am I? And Superboy explains to the dazed stranger, he says, there was a note in your pocket written in Kryptonese by a man named Jor-El. Does the mean Jor-El mean anything to you? Here's the important part of this, I think, is the youth says, 
And I quote, I don't know. My memory is gone. This is very important to remember in this story. So he does say, there was a terrible explosion, a shock. I, I blacked out. That's all I remember till I saw you. Superboy says, I understand. After it was fired, your rocket must have drifted through space. You lay in a state of suspended animation and didn't get, uh, or didn't grow, rather, any older. Now I'm thinking, no. I don't think you quite understand how suspended animation works, Superboy. Just because he's knocked out, you know, being unconscious and being in suspended animation, two completely different things, okay? Not the same thing. So just because he was knocked out doesn't mean that, you know, suddenly his his biological processes stop and he doesn't age for however many years this is supposed to be since Krypton blew up. So, no, that's a fail right there. So the other kid, the the youth, I'm going to call him for now, he says, but you mentioned the name Jor-El. Who is Jor-El? And Superboy answers. He says, he was your father, or rather, our father. Listen to me. By overtaking light rays from the past, I learned that I was the son of a great scientist on the planet Krypton. His name was Jor-El. His scientific research led him to believe that his planet was doomed. And there's a great flashback here to the classic story of Jor-El, you know, being all upset because he's made his pronouncement that the planet is doomed and the science council or whoever. In this instance, it doesn't really say who he's talking to. It just, uh, it's it's almost like a flashback within a flashback because first we flashback to Jor-El in his lab with the model rocket and Lara is there and she's holding baby Kal-El and he says, if only the rulers of Krypton would heed my warning and build a, ro- a fleet of rocket ships like this one. The whole population of Krypton could be saved. And then these, like I say, it's a flashback within a flashback because these scenes are not in playing in order. Superboy is, is still relating the story. And he says, uh, my father had discovered an, that an atomic chain reaction in the core of the planet had begun, but nobody believed him. And it does show this sequence of Jor-El. He looks like he's actually standing on a balcony um, almost like a street preacher or something. And, and uh, everybody's kind of laughing at him. And they're going, Krypton explode? Nonsense, Jor-El. And they're making fun of him and everything. And he, he basically is just fed up with him. He goes, your stubborn disbelief has doomed everyone on this planet. And it goes, again, it's it's the classic origin story of Superman. They end up, uh, as the planet's being destroyed, Jor-El and Lara launch baby Kal-El into space. The only reason I'm going into this so much is because I did my homework for this episode. Because as you'll remember... One of the very first stories I, I kicked this show off with, uh, I've got a few things to say about Superman, is I covered the classic Superman Returns to Krypton story, uh, which was first published in Superman number 141. So I did my homework. I looked it up. Superman number 141 was published with a cover date of November 1960. So not far. I mean, a little over a half a year prior to this story in that story i illustrated or you know i really tried to make a point to point out that that story went counter to a lot of established superman legend of the time because in that story they did believe jor-el and they began to build their space fleet that's what they were working on in that story when superman was accidentally returned to his own time prior to the destruction of krypton so it's interesting that already, 
less than a year later, that seems to have been swept back under the rug again. <laughs> so it's it's fun how they they play kind of fast and loose with the continuity on these things. This these days, this sort of thing would drive me crazy. But I just I kind of just expected this, I guess, back in the pre-crisis era. I think it's just one of those. You know, just one of those things, one of those tropes of uh, the the pre-crisis, especially the Silver Age era, is that, you know, the continuity wasn't the tightest thing in the world. And you could either go crazy trying to reconcile it, or you could just kind of roll with it. In this case, just going to kind of roll with it, but I wanted to point it out for just for fun's sake. So, they continue talking, and Superboy says... Uh, so essentially says, so, you know, if that's so coming from Krypton, you must have superpowers on earth as I do. And again, the youth says, and I quote, gosh, I don't know. So what's really interesting about this panel in which he's saying that is that he's giving Superboy a look that to, to me says, I don't know if I'm buying all this. It almost seems like he's giving him a look of, gee, you're really jumping to some conclusions here with, without a whole lot of evidence. But the thing about this character, and again, I'll be talking all about him later on, um, but the thing I've, one of the things I've always really liked about him is that he's very polite. <laughs> you know, he just kind of goes along with things in this. And unfortunately, his courteousness and, and politeness really lead to some awful things happening to him in this story so superboy making the assumption that you know this is his older brother that he is from krypton and everything says well let's test you and he says uh, try standing in those flames and he's pointing at the burning rocket ship behind them <laughs> which is hilarious now now this sort of thing happened from time to time in stories from this era however in this one at least superboy does have the the sense of mind to go oh by the way you know if if you sense any heat or pain as you get closer to the flame pull back don't don't walk into the flames and burn up which i like because there was another story i may or may not have covered it on this show i can't remember but there was another story very similar to this where somebody did walk into flames or something without really knowing whether it would kill them or not. I'm just like, how how dumb is that? Anyway, uh, the youth is, is very accommodating. He says, okay. And he walks over there and uh, he actually stands in the flames and he says, I feel nothing. I mean, it was as if there were no flame, which is actually pretty cool. And Superboy says, then you're invulnerable and indestructible, just like me. Now let's see if you can fly, if you have super strength, super speed, x-ray vision. And there's this whole thing where they they test his powers and they do some different things. And, and eventually it leads to Superboy being more convinced than ever that this really is his brother. That, that it is his older brother come from Krypton to, to join him. And he says, yes, my brother, he says, you sure have superpowers. Now let me take you home to my foster parents who raised me from infancy. Will they be surprised to learn I've got an older brother? Yeah, I would I would think so. <laughs> so they go home, they fly through Superboy's secret tunnel that that links the, you know, out in the woods to, you know, underneath it's a secret tunnel that goes into the Kent basement and all so he can come in and go without being seen as Superboy. And he takes them uh, he takes the youth to this hidden room in the Kent cellar, it says. This is Superboy's, like, secret lab area. 
and he says, I uh, recently added this room. These pictures are of your parents, or our parents, he says, Jorel, uh, our father, and Lara, our mother, which begs the question, where the hell did he get pictures of Jorel and Lara? I would love to know this. Where? <sighs> anyway, so, love this part, makes no sense whatsoever. This is what I'm going to call my Planet of the Apes time travel explanation for this issue. Because if you know what I'm talking about, if you've ever seen Escape from the Planet of the Apes, uh, the Doctor's explanation of how time travel works in that movie is a whole lot of words that strung together make zero sense whatsoever. Same exact thing right here. So Monel poses the question. He says, uh, but how can they be so young? I'm at least 18. In your rocket ship, you called it a model ship. If that's so, what ship did I use? Here's Superboy's explanation. He says, I've been thinking about that. And I'll offer a theory to explain it. First, about your age. Krypton must have been a planet whose atmosphere speeds up the life processes. There, uh, you aged more rapidly than you would have on Earth. I left Krypton when I was a baby, so I escaped the fast aging process. That's why you look so much older than me. What? It just makes my head... Why wouldn't the explanation just be that he was already older than Kal-El? So he's been drifting through space all this time and he just aged... Norm why, why did the writer set up this whole thing of you must have been in suspended animation... And then come up with this crazy elaborate thing here that really doesn't make any sense of why he's older. Why not just have him, when he left Krypton, he was, you know, whatever, three years old and, and Kal-El was an infant. It's really crazy. And I don't understand this thing of suddenly assuming that life processes ran faster on Krypton. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, he says, now, as for your rocket ship, I think that Jor-El sent you into space first because you were his oldest son. Okay, that makes sense. Then, fearing your ship was defective, Jor-El decided to work on a new type. Mine was the model ship of the new type. I love this. He's going on about this, and then the next line is my favorite. He just says, but what's the difference? Which, to me, is the writer's way of saying, yeah, well, what, whatever. You know, at this point, I don't care if you're buying it or not. Let's just skip ahead in the story, which I think is actually a really good thing because I'm not buying any of this. And again, by the look on Monel's face, I'm not sure he's buying all of this either, but he's just too polite to say anything about it. So he says, uh, Superboy says, what's the difference? He says, you're here and now I have a real brother, my own flesh and blood. Say, I, I think it's actually really sweet. He's just so happy to have this brother that I, I think he's he's really jumping through hoops to make the whole thing work he wants to believe which come on that i like that that is actually really nice so he says my own flesh and blood i can't wait to introduce you to mom and dad come on they're upstairs so they go upstairs and it's a few minutes later and he's made introductions and ma kent just looks shocked she's holding her hand to her face she's actually got her other hand on uh, on monel's shoulder and she's saying uh Dad went to the store to unload a shipment and meet a salesman with whom he had an appointment. Goodness, will Dad be shocked at this news? <laughs> and, and Superboy, he has his glasses on, he's putting his Clark Kent clothes on, and he says, I'll run down to the store and tell him myself. Meanwhile, you two get acquainted. So I, I actually like this part. So he goes down there, and in the very next scene, he's at the Ken store, 
And he's already told the story, and he's saying, so, Dad, you now have two sons. And I love Jonathan Kent's reaction. He just says, it sounds incredible. It, It's so sudden. <laughs> I'm reading between the, between the lines here of, of Pa Kent thinking, it's so great. Another another mouth to feed that's just been sprung on me. And an 18-year-old. Great. Terrific. Yeah, I can I can barely make ends meet now and running this stupid store day and night. And uh, and now you're going to go ahead and, and add another mouth to feed to the whole. Well, he doesn't say any of that, but that's almost what I like to read into this. Anyways, he, he does say, though, he goes, if your brother is anything like you, your mother and I will be doubly blessed. Which, oh, that's really sweet. He says, we'll celebrate tonight the instant I get home. And I'm thinking... You can't just go ahead and, and close her. I mean, this is a pretty special occasion, you know? Superboy, he, he has a brother now. You have another another son. You know, stop what you're doing. Close the store early. I mean, what can be that important in Smallville that you can't, you know, close a few hours early or whatever and, and go home? But anyway, he says, but first I have to see Ed Locke, the traveling salesman, and give him an order. And then there's this refrigerator. It's on the blink. All the spood will foil. Uh, yeah. The... <laughs> Food will spoil unless I get the electrician to fix it tonight. And uh, Superboy says, is that what's bothering you? And he uses his super breath and he freezes everything in the refrigerator. So nothing's going to spoil now until tomorrow. And, and Jonathan Kent can get the refrigerator uh, repaired. And I'm thinking he's doing this because he he wants Jonathan to bug out early. He wants to, to go home. And he doesn't say that, but that's just the feeling I get in this whole thing. So then moments later, Ed Locke shows up, and he looks ridiculous. He he looks like a character I've seen on, I don't know, like some old, like, I don't know, Andy Griffith or something like that. But he just looks ridiculous. He's got this silly-looking hat, which I think they called a pork pie hat, but I'm not exactly sure. But he just looks really silly. It, he basically, it's like a fedora, but with the with the brim in the front popped up instead of down like indiana jones would wear it just i i oh, it makes me crazy i just want to walk up to him and like smack the brim down and be like wear it properly but anyway he walks in and he's going greetings kent and he goes i'm edlock and he just looks sleazy it looks like a sleazy used car salesman he goes i'm edlock the best traveling salesman in the territory i sell brushes clothes brushes toothbrushes hair brushes shoe brushes and brush brushes and <laughs> clark is thinking to himself and this is the most ridiculous part. He goes, hey, that gives me an idea. My brother will need a secret identity. Why not a traveling salesman? What? What a crappy secret. I- what? You're going to take this this space alien who's been on Earth a grand total of like 15 minutes. And you're going to turn him into a traveling sa- He doesn't know anything. He's he's literally, he might as well have been born yesterday. He just arrived on the planet. And now to try to protect his secret identity, you're going to turn him into a traveling salesman. That makes no sense. He says, they're always passing through town without arousing suspicion. Well, yeah, a, a traveling salesman that's completely a babe in the woods, <laughs> new to the planet, I would think it's going to arouse a bit of suspicion. <laughs> oh, good Lord. So later that night, they're at the Kent home, and they're they've just wrapped up. They've just had dinner, and they have dressed Superboy's brother up in the most just god awful, ridiculous looking outfit. So he has. Oh, here's. I'll try to make a mental picture for you here. He has a white undershirt, no problem there. A blue bow tie, eh? Whatever. He has this 
oh, this outfit. It's like this plaid, this orange plaid jacket and pants that look like they're sewed from like old couch cushions or something. And one of those stupid hats, except this one's white, whereas Ed's was brown. But again, it's like, it's basically, it's uh it's like a fedora, but with the, the brim popped up in the front, he just looks flat ridiculous. And Jonathan Kent, he's wiping his mouth. He says, well, sons, he says, Ahem, I have two sons now. This was a wonderful celebration your mother prepared. So he didn't even help with the celebration. What a jerk. And... <laughs> And the youth, the the new son, he's saying, how do you like the outfit? Clark brought back from the store, Mr. Kent. I mean, Dad. Clark thinks my new secret identity should be that of a traveling salesman. At which point, Pa Pa Kent should step up and go, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Instead, Pa Kent trumps one stupid idea with an even stupider idea. Get this. So he walks up and he's doing something to the front of of the the new addition, the, the the super older brother, and he's adjusting his jacket or something. He's holding him basically like by the lapels, and he says, "A good idea. We'll invent a new name for you. Ready for this, folks? Bob Cobb. Yeah, Bob Cobb. Now." This is the part in the story where where Clark really should go to Pa Kent and, and, and put his hand lovingly on his shoulder and say, hey, Pa, can I, can, can I talk to you for a second? I, you know, I love you. I love you dearly. You know, you raised me from an infant. And you, you took me into your home. You've been a wonderful father. You really have. But how do I, you know... You suck at coming up with secret identity names, dude. Bob Cobb, seriously? No, we are not going with Bob Cobb. But, uh, yeah, what can I say? I don't want to spoil too much ahead, but the Bob Cobb thing going to stick because um, we'll see him actually come back to this uh, this secret identity in the future. Yeah, Bob Cobb. Anyway, uh, Pa Kent does raise a good question. Next, he says, uh, but what are we going to call you privately? I like this part. And uh, Clark, he says, hmm, today is Monday. Monday is when he came into our life, Dad. So since our Krypton family name always ended in L, we'll call him Monel. I like that. I like the origin of that. Here's the funny thing, though, is, okay, so he's named after Monday, and they just, you know, they cut the day part off, and they stuck L on the end. Well, we don't say Monday. We say Monday. So shouldn't he be Monel? I don't like that as much and i you know come to think of it though i think i have heard some people pronounce it that way now that i think about it but i've always said monel and that's what i've heard most people say as monel but anyway continuing on so the next day at 3 p.m it says a very joyous clark uh finds someone waiting for him and he says gosh monel it's great to have my own brother meet me after school and uh you know, Clark's carrying his books and everything. By the way, I just noticed here that, uh, you know, he's not wearing his customary outfits uh, in this story, which I like a lot. You know, generally, Clark was always drawn wearing that stupid red sweater. And in this one, he he actually wears different clothes for a change, which I like. But unfortunately, his brother has come to meet him in his ridiculous-looking Bob Cobb disguise, <laughs> complete with briefcase. And he says, wait, Clark. 
and he notices uh, that there's an accident about to happen. He says that auto trailer is running out of control. What is it? It's a car carrier is what it is. It's an old timey, uh, uh, like tractor trailer, uh, the tractor part. And it has the car carrier on the back and all these old timey cars. And he says, uh, that auto trailer is running out of control. Let's duck behind that, uh, excavation. Excavation? What? Oh, I guess there's some sort of road work or something. It's just a weird thing to call it. He says, switch into our costumes and stop that truck before somebody gets hurt. So they switch into, you know, their costumes and everything. And the people are amazed to find that, uh, hey, Superboy's not the only uh, Superboy anymore. Now there's two, they call them Super Youths. Which, you know, if this story had been longer or, or you know, padded out or, or just been a little bit more to it, it would have been really interesting to... You know, I'm surprised that there wasn't the twist in here of, uh, you know, Lana Lang especially getting suspicious of this whole thing going, hmm, it's funny that uh, Clark has this new pal that seems to be living at the Kent home and now all of a sudden there's a uh, a new Superboy, you know, a, a Superboy's, and I don't think he ever does tell the people that this is his, uh, his older brother. That's kind of just swept away because we change scenes immediately. And it just says, then as the two brothers leave an admiring crowd behind, uh, Superboy spots Crypto. And he whistles to him, thinking that uh, this is going to be a wonderful family reunion. But strangely, uh, Crypto growls at Monel, And Superboy is kind of perplexed. He says, golly, I don't understand. He says, he's growling as if you were an enemy. Why is he unfriendly when he ought to know you? And... Monel tries his best, and he just says, well, maybe Crypto's forgotten me. It's been so long since he saw me. Again, I keep going back to the thing that I can't escape in this story is that right out of the gate, Monel told Superboy, I don't remember. <laughs> My memory is gone. And it seems like Superboy is constantly kind of putting him on the spot here. We're going to see a lot more of this. So now... There's already been a seed planted in, in Superboy's mind of, of suspicion. So that night, as uh, they're getting ready for bed, they're undressing and getting ready for bed, Clark just happens to use his uh, supervision on Monel's belt buckle. He says, Good heavens, I just noticed the metal in Monel's belt. He says, It isn't from Krypton. On a recent journey through time into the past, and I would love to know where this story is says, I studied jor records of the elements found on Krypton. Well, that must have been fascinating. says, this metal isn't among them. So they go to bed that night, and about an hour later, uh, while Mon-El is asleep, Clark gets up in the middle of the night, and he says, Something's, uh, something funny is going on. He says, I'm not wasting any time finding out what it is. I have a fragment, uh, fragment of kryptonite locked up in a leaden box hidden in the cellar. I'll fetch it now. So he goes... And he gets kryptonite and actually exposes his brother to kryptonite. And I'm thinking, what a jerk. But he does say that, you know, the, the minute that uh, he, he starts to show any distress or that he's in pain or anything, you know, he'll stop. He's, he's not going to kill him. He just wants to see what kryptonite will do to him. And, of course, Monel doesn't react to the kryptonite. And uh, Superboy's thinking to himself, not even a twitch of discomfort. Okay. I found out what I wanted, and he says, now I'll put it back. So he puts the kryptonite back. So the next morning, Monel wakes up, and he's stretching, and he goes, oh, I had a wonderful night's sleep, Clark. How about you? And uh, Clark says to him, he says, who, me? He goes, oh, I was a bit restless, but in his head, he's thinking, the phony. He's pretending to keep up the pretense 
that he's my older brother from Krypton. Superboy, you started this. He's not keeping up anything. He already admitted he didn't have his memory. He doesn't know. He's just going along with what you've laid out for him. I love this story. Don't get me wrong. I'm not busting on the story, but this is one of those elements of it that does drive me a little bit crazy. It's like suddenly Superboy is... He's suspicious, you know, that this this kid must be evil. He's an imposter. And I'm like, you're the one that started this, dude. It's almost like one of those old sitcoms. Anyway, so as, <laughs> as Monel slash Bob Cobb is dressed and he's uh, in front of the mirror and he's combing and brushing his hair, Superboy is uh, kind of around the corner. He's, almost, he's very pouty looking and he says Crypto didn't recognize him. His belt wasn't made on Krypton, and Kryptonite doesn't affect him. Therefore, he can't be from Krypton. He can't be my brother. He's an imposter. What? <laughs> he says, then who is he? How did he get superpowers? Yeah, let, let's figure that out before we turn on him, okay? So, this is the end of this chapter, and it says, Yes, reader, who is this cunning stranger who pretends to be Superboy's older brother? And now the narrator's in on this. He's not pretending anything, and he's not being cunning. He's he doesn't know who he is. <laughs> so see part two and learn the startling answer. So we start into part two after a few pages here called The Secret of Monel, And it, uh, again, has a mini cover. Now, this time it doesn't take up the uh, the entire page. It's uh, it's about, uh, oh, about three quarters of the page. Uh, a, a second cover, if you will, of these kryptonite boulders falling out of the sky. And... Monel is just standing there and he's got his arms up as if he's like checking for rain or something as these kryptonite meteorites are falling all around. And he says, what's the matter, Superboy? This meteor shower can't hurt us. We have superpowers. We're indestructible. And Superboy is on the ground and uh, he's shaking and, and sweating. And he says, you're crazy, Monel. Those meteors are made of green kryptonite. They're deadly to us. I'm affected already. This is the end, Monel. We're both doomed. And the narration box says, Who is this imposter who calls himself the brother of Superboy? What is he after? Why has he lied to Superboy about his identity and origin? He didn't. He didn't lie. <laughs> he didn't lie. He said he didn't know. It says, You will gasp in amazement when you finally learn the truth about Superboy's older brother in The Secret of Monel. I don't know that you'll gasp, but it is kind of cool. So, anyway. At the Kent breakfast table the next morning, Clark tries to mask his suspicious feelings. And, uh, yeah, he's doing an alright job. I mean, at least he's smiling and everything. He's being polite. But in his mind, he's thinking, I wonder what my phony brother is up to. <laughs> what a jerk. So he tells Monel that he'll see him after class. And he goes to school that day. And I'm going to skip this entire part because it's so stupid. This thing about their... Now, Clark, at this point, based on his look and the look of the other students, I'm thinking he's got to be in high school. And for some reason, he's taking a test, and one of the test questions is about the origin of fairy tales, specifically Cinderella. So Clark excuses himself to go get a drink of water and flies back through time to ancient Egypt or something to investigate. And it's just, uh, I'm skipping the whole thing because it's really dumb. Anyway, much later in the day, we do get a, just a tiny little bit of crazy pants Lana Lang because after school lets out. Again, it says at 3 p.m. It's very uh, persistent in telling us what time school gets out in Smallville. 
So they get out of school, and he and, uh, and Lana are walking along, and he sees Bob Cobb, and he says, hmm, there's my imposter, quote-unquote, brother, Monel waiting for me. He says, uh, Lana, he says, meet a friend of mine. He's a traveling salesman. And, oh, God, Monel says, right, I carry all kinds of brushes, paint brushes, shoe brushes, to- uh, toothbrushes, hair brushes, and... And Clark finishes the thing for him. He says, brush brushes. I've heard that line before. And here's the thing. He heard it before. Monel didn't. He wasn't there when that Ed dude was given this same little speech at the Kent shop earlier in the issue. So did somebody did somebody coach him on this? Or uh. Anyway, so there's this whole thing with him selling a brush to Lana Lang and he actually has to use his uh, superpowers at super speed to like change the price sticker on a brush that she's interested in. It's, it's feels like padding is really what it feels like. But anyway, it all ends up with Clark getting jealous because he thinks that Bob Cobb is hitting on his woman. And he actually thinks to himself, the rat he's trying to steal my girl from me. So, Later on that night, when they get back to the Kent home, Ma Kent sees the uh, the special lamp going on and off. It's a signal that means either the White House, Professor Lang, or Chief Parker is uh, is signaling, trying to get a hold of Superboy. So Superboy and uh, and Monel change into their their outfits, and they streak off. And it has something to do with a a bank robbery, and. Uh, these crooks are using uh, lead balls as catapult ammunition to knock a hole in the side of the bank. Okay, it's kind of ingenious. So they get inside the bank, and Superboy is actually rounding up the bad guys, and Monel goes to the bank. You know, I just noticed for the first time in this one sequence, when Monel first goes into the bank, he's not wearing his cape. I don't know what that's all about. That's really weird. But yeah, he does not have his cape on. So anyway, he's inside the bank, and the cops come in and they go, "Hey, you've got superpowers. Stop those crooks!" But Monel can't. He says, "I can't. I feel weak suddenly." And <laughs> the two bad guys have suitcase. They're in full three-piece suits, which is just ridiculous. They have their fedora hats on. They've got briefcases that are just overflowing with cash. They have cash actually sticking out of the closed briefcases, and the one of them's going, "Let's lamb, boys." <laughs> So they split. Now I'm thinking, the cops are right there coming through the wall. Surely they are armed. Why do they act like this was a complete failure when couldn't they just shoot the bad guys? Couldn't they run after the bad guy? Why are they relying solely on Monel and Superboy to do their job for them? Anyway, so Superboy arrives on the scene and Monel is uh he's really weakened. He's now outside the bank. But he's on uh, on hands and knees, and he's saying, I don't know what happened. I collapsed, and the thieves escaped. And Superboy's thinking to himself, the liar! <laughs> he's probably in cahoots with the crooks and pretended weakness so that he could get away. Or so that, rather, that they could get away. It's time I put an end to this masquerade. Hmm, I have an idea. And I'm thinking, what a jerk! So, he says to Monel, he says... Maybe you could uh, stand a change of atmosphere, Monel. Let's arrange a meeting place in space for a little super exercise. I'll join you in ten minutes after I round up the escape crooks. Okay, so he is going to go after the crooks after all. Which begs the question, what are these cops doing? They can't go after the crooks. Oh, God. So, 
Manuel says, okay, that's great. He goes, my, uh, my strength's coming back to me now. So Superboy goes back to where the, the catapult was. And he finds the lead balls and he paints them green to simulate that they are kryptonite. And then he flings them into space. So then he actually streaks off into space to meet Monel, which means he's flying faster than the meteors that he threw into space. Uh, anyway, so they get to this special planetoid that they've arranged to meet up at. And when he gets there, Monel's there waiting for him which means that he flew even faster than Superboy flew flying faster than the meteors that he threw. Okay. So, <laughs> Monel says, Hi, little brother. He says, uh, You timed your arrival just right. I just got here myself. That brief bit of weakness slowed me up. And Superboy's thinking to himself, he says, Now to stall Monel until the meteor shower arrives. Says, how about a game of baseball, Monel? You pitch and I'll bat with this tree trunk I picked up on route. So he's now got the petrified wood tree trunk, which is a reversal of uh, the inside front cover. And Monel uh, actually smacks the uh, the first pitch, and he says, "This could be fun if only the imposter will, were my real brother." And he smacks the uh, the rock that Monel has used as the ball. And he hits this big box, and uh, Monel says, Look, Superboy, the boulder sheared off the cover of a large box standing out in the open. The thing springs open, and this is the giant, two-headed, freakish-looking jack-in-the-box that's spewing flame out of its mouth from the uh, from the cover of the issue. So, for just a moment, it almost looks like Superboy's kind of forgotten this whole thing with the the imposter angle i just i love the next panel they're both they just have smiles on their face and superboy proposes hey let's tackle this thing together so he says it's a jack-in-the-box monster okay probably left behind in a space wreck by a weird race of space people who make crazy toys you know again with the leaps in logic how how do you know any of that that's that's quite a leap superboy he says, let's destroy it. You take one head, I'll take the other. It'll be a regular double header. There's that groan-worthy uh, pun from the cover. <laughs> but uh, but Monel, he looks really excited. He's got a great smile on his face. It's very Ditko-esque, the, uh, the look of Monel right here. And he says, right. And so they take off after it, and he's smashing through one of them. And he says, say, this is fun, isn't it, little brother? And Superboy actually says, yep. He says, great fun. But look what's coming our way, a meteor shower. And it's the lead balls that Superboy has thrown into space. They're now arriving. So they come raining down on them. And much like that second cover, the cover for uh, for Chapter 2, Monel's standing there, and he's he's got his arm reached up, again, like he's checking the rain coming down or something. He says, uh, so what? They can't harm us. We're indestructible. And Superboy is grasping his throat and kind of sagging to his knees, and he says, you're crazy, Monel. These meteors are green kryptonite, deadly to natives of Krypton. I'm affected already. The stuff is all around us. We'll soon be too weak to move. We're doomed, Monel. Monel, in the next panel, he's clutching his throat now, and he's down on his hands and knees, and he's got sweat pouring off of him, and he says, You're you're right. He says, It's affecting me now. I can't breathe. I feel terribly weak. Help me, Superboy. I'm dying. And Superboy turns on him, and he's thinking to himself, The miserable liar. I'm going to confront him now. I'm going to tell him he's an imposter. 
And he does. And he says, okay, Monel, cut out the dying act. You're in no danger. This isn't kryptonite. And he picks up one of the meteors that's busted in half and he shows him. He says, I created that fake kryptonite shower to prove you're a phony. Underneath the green painted surface, these boulders are nothing but harmless lead. But Monel, he's now prone. He's laying flat on the ground. He's holding his head and he says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I can hardly move. It says, though exposure to lead has caused terrible molecular changes in my body, destroying all my superpowers, it shocked my brain out of its state of amnesia. My memory is restored. I recall everything now. I don't come from Krypton. I really like the next panel because Superboy, he really looks distraught over this. He, he actually looks very shocked. And Monel continues. He says, I'm not your brother. I'm a native of Daxum another planet where lead affects daxamites the way kryptonite affects you except its effects never wear off any damage is permanent now listen many years ago i made a flight a rocket flight to krypton my engine conked out and i crash landed on krypton here i met your father jor-el who befriended me and after several weeks repaired my rocket ship then one day and it goes on to explain, you know, the note that wound up in his pocket because Jor-El gave him a, a note with the same course that Kal-El would be sent going to Earth. And uh, Monel continues, he says, Jor-El didn't need the chart since he had memorized it for his baby son Kal-El, whom he intended to send to Earth also in a model rocket. And then we get another scene where, as he's about to leave, Lara presents him with the locket and she says before you go lad take this locket it is inscribed with love from Jorel and me because we learned to care uh care for you deeply even though your stay was short and then Jorel just kind of chides her saying come on laura we can't detain him any longer so back to monel and this time uh i really again i really like this scene superboy is actually holding monel now he's, he's holding him in his arms and monel is continuing he says so i took off and my one-man vessel, which instead of reaching Earth, drifted in space till a short while ago. says, the rest you know. Superboy is very upset by this. He says, good heavens. He says, that's why Crypto didn't recognize you. Now, he says that, but there's not really an explanation of that. I'm presuming that all this happened before Kal-El and Crypto came along? I don't know. It doesn't really make a lot of... It doesn't explain that fully here, because... By Jorel saying, "Come on, Laura, you know we can't detain him any longer." I'm assuming it means like the planet's in danger, but that wouldn't make any sense because if that were true, then Crypto and Kala would be part of this. I don't know. I'm going to assume that he was just saying we can't detain him any longer because he has to get back to, you know, he has to leave. Which all of this does beg an unspoken question about this that I don't believe was answered for many, many, many years. What about Monel in the first place? What, why, you know, what was the whole thing with him coming to crypto? Where was he from? What was his original mission? Why didn't he want to go home? Why was he going to go now to Earth, where Kal-El was going? That wouldn't really be touched on for a long time. Anyway... Uh, Superboy continues, he says, uh, that's why your belt wasn't made of kryptonese metal and why lead instead of kryptonite affects you. He goes, but why did you try to steal my girl Lana? And, and Monel says, I didn't. I was only trying to make her happy because I knew you liked her. 
And again, you know, what a, what a, I mean, he's just a nice guy. He was just trying to be nice. Says, but no matter, I'm dying because Daxum has an atmosphere and gravity similar to Krypton's. I had superpowers on Earth as you do, but the lead changed all that. And Superboy finally realizes and finally says what I've been thinking all along. This is all my fault. Yes, it is, Superboy, because you've been a jerk. Says, because I thought you were my enemy, I played a fatal trick on you. But I'll fly you away from here where the effects of the lead will soon wear off. Which says that he wasn't listening. So Monel repeats. He says, no, it's not like kryptonite. Once exposed to lead, a Daxamite is doomed. I'll die wherever you take me. Suddenly, Superboy gets a desperate idea. He says, if you remain in the real world, you'll die. But I can transport you to another dimension where you could at least live till I discover a cure for this deadly molecular effect lead has on you. Will you go there? And Monel doesn't hesitate. He says, yes, only hurry. I can't last long. So Superboy streaks back to Earth and he dives into the Atlantic Ocean. And he goes to where uh, he had recently th- thrown a sealed box containing terrible weapons used on Krypton before it exploded. One weapon, one weapon, and again, it's called here a punishment ray, was used to exile criminals. According to uh, a description uh, of the weapons which I found on the box, he thinks to himself, by pressing the black button, traitors, enemies, and criminals of Krypton were projected into a phantom zone for the duration of their sentence and could be recalled by pushing a white button. And uh, there's a flashback here where it shows one of the uh, the Phantom Zone executioners pushing the button and sentencing a villain. Now, the cool thing about this is that it shows him doing this and the guy is fading away into phantom form and the executioner is saying, for sabotaging our factory with a super bomb, we hereby sentence you to 30 years in the Phantom Zone. Here's the funny thing. The guy that he's sentencing sure does look like Dr. Zadu, who we saw in the first Phantom Zone story in uh, you know the last, the one that I reviewed last issue looks just like Dr. Zadu, and the sentence is the same, 30 years, but the crime, completely different, because Zadu's had something to do with having frozen people, and this here says about bombing a, a factory. Anyway, soon back on the asteroid, Superboy places the lead box at a safe distance, and he's got the Phantom Zone projector, called here the Punishment Ray. He says, I must warn you, Monel. There are dangerous villains at large in the Phantom Zone. Life may be hard, but at least you'll be alive. And I promise you, in the future, I'll find a cure for the deadly effects of the lead and return you to the real world. And Monel says, I'm not afraid, Superboy. Send me to the Phantom Zone. So Superboy presses the black button, and Monel's fading away, and he says, Farewell, brother, uh, that you. He says, farewell, brother, that you almost were. Don't forget me. Rescue me someday from this invisible dimension. And Superboy says, Monel, wherever you are, remember, I'll free you someday when I grow up to be Superman. I swear it. And that's pretty much the end of the story. There is a uh, a note at the end that just says, watch Superman comics for a three-part novel featuring Superman's return to the Phantom Zone. Well, here's the funny thing about that is that... Um, unless they're talking about super like superboy growing up into superman and then returning to the zone superman has not yet been in the zone you know we've this is only the second 
Phantom Zone story, and they've both involved Superboy. I'm going to presume what they mean is there's going to be a Superman story in which, you know, he's, for the first time, he's going to be returning. Here, I'm going to spoil something for you. That doesn't happen. I'm not sure what Superman story they were talking about. And eventually, yes, of course, there would be Superman stories uh, with Superman and the Phantom Zone. But whatever they're talking about here, specifically uh, Superman's return to the Phantom Zone, that actually never does come to pass, which is very odd. So, I want to talk a little bit about uh, just some general notes and things like that. Again, like I said before, it's it's nice to see Clark Kent wearing something other than that uh, that red sweater that typically he would wear uh, in these stories. I spotted something really cool on the second panel of the story. First page, second panel, as Superboy, or as, rather as Clark Kent changes into Superboy behind Mon Pa Kent. I'm pretty sure that that billboard is hawking cigars. <laughs> it, it's I can make out the word... Well, not the complete word smoking, but I can make out an S-M-O-K-I, so I'm pretty sure that word is smoking. And then the picture sure does look like an open box of cigars. Now, above the word smoking, in much larger letters, you can see S-T. I'm wondering if this billboard said something like best smoking. It's just a guess, but pretty sure that that's an ad for cigars there, which just, you know, sign of the times and all that. Going back to the last panel on the uh, the first page of the story where Superboy rips open the rocket to get to Monel. Uh, again, I'm going to ask the question, should, should Superboy be able to rend metal from Daxum? Because now as we establish, Daxum and Daxamites pretty much function the same way on Earth as Kryptonians do. So I can't remember. Can Superboy rend Kryptonian metal? I really don't remember. But if he can't, then it doesn't seem like he should be able to rend Daxamite metal either. But eh, I can go along with the gag. I just thought I'd point it out. Um, As I said before, being knocked out, not the same thing as being put into suspended animation. And let's see, what else do I have here? Um, There is, at the very end of the story, when Superboy uh, essentially condemns Mon-El to the zone, there is the mention of the villains. In in the next-to-last panel, he does warn him, and he says there are dangerous villains at large in the Phantom Zone. What's funny? still going to be a while before we see any of them. We've seen them sentenced to the zone in flashback, but it's still going to be a while before we actually uh, run into any of these villains uh, ourselves. You know, other than the flashback, which, again, looks amazingly like Dr. Zadu. Uh, no villains at all in the story. So the big thing to really talk about with this one, I think, is Monel. Monel, I make no bones about it, one of my absolute favorite comic book characters uh, of all time. I've always had a real soft spot for Monel. I just I I think he's cool. I think he's a really cool character. Um Monel would uh, reappear very shortly after this. Uh within just a few months he would reappear and then he would appear regularly in um Superboy and Legion of Superhero stories, eventually actually becoming a legionnaire in Adventures, uh, Adventure Comics number 300, 
where he was actually a vital component of the story. He was returned to the Phantom Zone at the end of that story, unfortunately. But then Monel actually would be freed from the Phantom Zone by Brainiac 5 of the Legion. But here's the thing. This was after, in, in his personal continuity, this was after a thousand years spent in the Phantom Zone. A thousand years. So I've heard it asked before that if Superboy knows this, because, of course, he travels into the future and he has adventures with the Legion and everything, if he knows that Monel wouldn't be freed for a thousand years then you know, why would he try and why would he make efforts to to free him you know right through being superman and you know superboy and superman and you know for his whole life for one i have to argue that in the sense of one of the things that always bugged me about monel being in the zone during superman's life is i would have liked to have seen moments much like say in the fantastic 4 comics you would occasionally have scenes of Reed Richards trying some new cure, some new attempt to cure his friend Ben Grimm of being the thing. Every once in a while you would see that. Sometimes it was even a, a plot point where he would try some new cure and something even worse would happen to Ben Grimm. Off the top of my head, and I'm sure somebody's going to write in and let me know where I've missed a story, and I really hope you do. If you If you know of an instance that I just can't think of, please write in and let me know. But I, off the top of my head, can't think of one story ever where I saw Superman struggling to come up with a cure for Monel's lead poisoning. And that always bothered me. Because right here at the end of this story, he made a promise to him that he would come up with a cure and get him out of there. And of course, he never does. But I would at least have liked, seen, liked to have seen the attempt. So... To me, that almost makes it look like the writers know that in continuity, he never will find a cure. So it's like they never had him try. And I'm talking from the writer perspective. But in continuity, here's my explanation for when the people, you know, when, when fans say, well, he must know that he never does. Well, no, he doesn't. Because you have to remember that Superboy doesn't retain all of the knowledge of what he learns when he's in the Legion time. Now, I'm not sure where this became a story point. I'm thinking it was actually much later in Legion history. I'm thinking it was during the time like when Mike Grell was artist and all that. But it would eventually be revealed that essentially whenever Superboy returns to the past, the Legion kind of played with his mind a little bit. They would wipe memories from him so that he didn't know too much about the future. I can only assume that that's one of the things that they must have played with was his knowledge of things like Monel being a part of the Legion in the future, so that you know I, I would think that it, so that it wouldn't um, how do I want to put it? Like, you know adversely because you would think that that would be a tremendous burden of guilt to to have to shoulder that you know this 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 guy because you were a jerk now you've basically sentenced them to purgatory for a thousand years you know he already knows he sentenced him there but he has hope that he can cure him that that he will be set free one day but if if he were to know for sure 
that that was never going to happen, not only in his lifetime, but in, you know, hundreds of lifetimes, not for a thousand years, you would think that that would be a tremendous burden for, for Superman, you know, for Superboy slash Superman to have to, to have to shoulder. So I'm, I'm convinced that that's one of those things that was kept from him, you know, or that was um, taken from him when he would return to his present so that he wouldn't have that, that terrible burden and that guilt. That That's my no prize. I don't know if that's official canon or anything like that, but I would think that it it would have to be. It just makes logical sense to me that it would be. Anyway, um, yeah, so Monel uh, would eventually join the Legion and prove to be one of the most popular members of the Legion. Monel uh, was one of the things that made me a Legion fan and kept me reading. Uh, Legion faithfully when I was a kid. He was just, as I said before, not only one of my favorite uh, Legionnaires, not only one of my favorite uh, Superman family or Superboy family characters, not only one of my favorite DC characters, but just flat one of my favorite comic book characters. I just, I like him a lot. It's hard to pin down exactly what I like about him, but this story right here hints at a lot of it. Uh, His nobility. He's a very noble character from the way he looks to the way he acts. Um, there's just, there's, I, I can't put it any better than that. There's a certain nobility about him. There's a certain, um, sacrifice, you know, uh, I don't want to say self-sacrificing, but it, you know, he does make a, a, a tremendous sacrifice because, you know, he, he does not hesitate when Superboy throws this option out there that, you know, you're basically going to, to, yeah, you won't die, but your existence not going to be a lot of fun, you know. But he doesn't hesitate, and uh, and he goes ahead and he goes into the zone, and he. One of the things to me is that, unless I've missed a story somewhere, I don't remember him ever being resentful. He still considered himself, in a lot of ways, Superboy's big brother. He still was his friend and and he still seemed to love him because whenever there were stories with Superboy or later with Superman and Monel together, uh again there was no resentment there. And you'd think that with you know, with anybody else with a with you know with a quote unquote lesser man that there would be great resentment to you know, in that. You did this to me. You sent me here. Now look at my life, you know. Even with uh, again using the Fantastic Four as a as a model, you know, you look at Reed Richards and and Ben Grimm. Yeah, they're 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 best friends. They're they're very brotherly and everything. But there were times where Ben Grimm was openly resentful of Reed Richards uh, because of the what the accident did to him. You know, it, it had adversely affected him and and changed his life. And now he was this freakish monster for the rest of his life. And there were many stories where he was very bitter and resentful toward Reed for what had happened to him. I don't recall that ever being a story point with Monel, and and I'm I'm glad too. I'm I'm not saying that in a sense of gee they should have done that. I'm actually glad they never touched on that. And again, if there is a story out there where that where that was a plot point, I missed it. You know, I never did see that, but I don't think there ever was because there were some really interesting stories late in Legion history, um, right around the time uh, of Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, just prior to Crisis on Infinite Earths, 
where something had happened. I'm trying to remember because it's been a long time since I've read the stories, but something had basically had happened with uh, Monel's cure, whereas uh, something like his body outran the cure or something like that, and he was in real danger of having to be re sentenced to the Phantom Zone to basically have to go back to the Phantom Zone in order to save himself. And he flipped out. And it was a really great it was it was one of the most humanizing stories of Monel because it made you realize that while he never said much about it, he never complained or whined about it, his time, his thousand years in the zone had dramatically impacted him. And when it came up that he might have to go back, he really kind of lost it. And I love that story. It was a really powerful story. But even in that story, he, as I recall it anyway, he didn't blame Clark. He didn't blame Superboy or Superman for for what had happened to him. He seemed to understand that, you know, this wasn't vindictive on, on Clark's part and that Clark felt horrible about this. And I like that part of this story, that you can see that in the last page of this, that uh, that Clark is genuinely concerned. You know, he's he's holding him, he's comforting him, and he feels terrible for, for what he has done. And so he's doing anything that he can to to save Monel. And I like that. It's it's really good. It's uh, it's very touching. I've always really enjoyed this story a lot. And uh, and another thing that I always liked about Monel as well is that maybe this is my own interpretation. Maybe it has to do with the fact of him, you know, right out of the gate with this story being portrayed as Superboy's older brother. But I always had the impression, especially from later Legion stories, that if you put the two of them nose to nose, that Monel actually was more powerful. Than Superboy. I don't know about Superman necessarily, but definitely Superboy. I really got the impression that of all of the Legionnaires, Superboy and, and Ultra Boy and all the guys included, that at the end of the day, Monel was actually the most powerful Legionnaire. And so I liked that about him. Um, I always thought that that was really cool. But yeah, I, I love this character. I've always loved this character. I have a real uh, fondness for him. So that's about it as far as my notes on this particular one. Um, this story has been reprinted many times, so there's a good number of places where you can track it down uh, if you haven't ever read it or you want to read it again. Uh, the earliest one was Superboy number 129 back in 1966. This is actually where I first read it because I actually have this issue, and for many, many, many years... I unfortunately mistakenly believed that this was the first appearance, that that was actually the first telling of the story. It's actually not, unfortunately. Superboy 129 is the first reprint, not the first appearance. So I, to this day, lack Superboy 89 in my own collection, but I do hope to get one one of these days. Even if it's an old, battered, beat-up one that I have to get on the cheap, I just would like to have this in my own collection because I just I love this story. I really do. Uh, it was also reprinted in Adventure Comics number 494 in 1982. It was in the Legion of Superheroes Archive Volume 1 hardcover in 1991. In the Showcase Presents Legion of Superheroes Volume 1 trade paperback in 2007. And Superman Tales from the Phantom Zone trade paperback in 2009. 
So let's see where we're at here. Okay, so we're actually a little over an hour into this episode. Now, originally I had planned to cover uh, the next Phantom Zone story, which uh, to my research was in Adventure Comics number 288, a story titled The Knave from Krypton. Literally, no lie, as I sat down to start making my notes and everything for this issue, I was looking for... I was actually looking to see what is the next appearance of the character that we'll talk about. Uh, the knave from Krypton is a character called Dev M. I was trying to remember what was his next appearance because something very interesting happens with that character. As I was doing that research, I suddenly discovered something that this is not adventure comics. 288 is not the first appearance of that character. And I had long believed it was, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I went to that story because something I was reading had directed me to that story as his first appearance. It's actually not. He actually appeared one issue earlier in adventure comics, 287, uh, war of the Superboys. I've never read that story. So in order to give you guys the full skinny on everything, I'm going to track that issue down. I'm going to read it and uh, and figure out if it's uh, part of this whole Phantom Zone thing that we're talking about and incorporate all of that. So for the time being, I'm just going to do the one, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm thinking you won't feel cheated because I know that I, uh, I really gave uh, full coverage to this awesome Mon-El story, and I, I hope you like that. And uh, I will be back hopefully very soon with, uh, with more Origins of the Phantom Zone coverage. Um, in the meantime, be sure to uh, go on to twotruefreaks.com. Actually, uh, this show is more properly, uh, you can more properly give feedback, uh, again, either writing into our uh, Gmail account or Back to the Bins now has its own Facebook group on Facebook. So if you go to Facebook, uh, do a search for Back to the Bins, you'll find our new Facebook group. You can also uh, go on there and uh, and interact with me and your fellow listeners and all that. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you're thinking about the show, uh, things you'd like me to cover. Let me know if I'm missing any stories, anything like that, or if there's, you know, if you have a favorite Phantom Zone story that you want to make sure that I'm covering, because I'm not sure if I mentioned this before. I think I did last episode, but uh, there does not seem to be, at least I couldn't find it, any sort of master list of all Phantom Zone appearances. So I have pulled research from dozens of different places to try to generate like the definitive phantom zone list. Now, does that mean I'm going to be covering every single phantom zone story? No, it doesn't. Cause there are some that are much more important than others, but I definitely do want to touch on what I feel are the, uh, the important stories, uh, for the phantom zone. So I will be going through that list. I'll be reading everything and then making a decision on what actually gets covered versus what doesn't get covered. That sort of thing. So In the meantime, uh, give me some feedback. Let me know what you're thinking about the show, and I will talk to you very soon. Take care. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. 
and is a registered trademark of DiManzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Superman, the movie.